tabernacle and the different parts of the tabernacle. And uh, it's just been a blessing to kind of study some things out. And I certainly have enjoyed it. Well, uh, I'm really going to enjoy tonight's uh, Bible study. And uh, this is a, um, uh, a very fascinating Bible study when you start uh, really getting into uh, the details of it. In fact, we won't even be able to cover uh, everything tonight uh, because there's so much that's uh, talked about in the Scripture. But we'll look at some of them. And so uh, tonight we're, uh, we're going to look at uh, the, the next piece of furniture there in that tabernacle and uh, probably the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant. So you find your place, Exodus chapter 25. Uh, let's stand together for the reverence of the reading of the Word of God, uh, beginning in verse 10, and we'll read down a few verses here. The Bible says, And they shall make an ark of shittim wood. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, within, without, shalt thou overlay it, and shalt make upon it a crown of gold round about. And thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it, and put them in the four corners thereof. And two rings shall be on the one side of it, and two rings shall be on the other side of it. And thou shalt make staves of shittim wood, and overlay them with gold. And thou shalt put the staves into the rings by the sides of the ark, that the ark may be borne with them. The staves shall be in the rings of the ark, they shall not be taken from it. And thou shalt put it into the ark, the testimony which I shall give thee. Let's pray. Lord, we love you tonight. We sure do thank you for allowing us to be in your house. Lord, thank you for the singing tonight, Lord, uh, just the fellowship with your people. Now, God, as we turn our attention to your word, we ask that you speak to our hearts, Lord, through the teaching and preaching of your word tonight. And Lord, help us, Lord, to learn some things. Uh, Lord, uh, yes, fill our heart, our minds with knowledge, but more importantly, our hearts with wisdom. We love you and we thank you. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Look at the different um, uh, uh, items of the tabernacle. And just again, a quick review. When you walk into the tabernacle, you come to that altar there, that brazen altar. And that's where the sacrifices were made. Right past the altar in the outer court uh, was the, uh, the brazen laver. And that brazen laver, of course, was uh, where they would wash at. In fact, uh, Brother Kyle was talking to me. Uh, with, I think it's Brother Kyle was talking to me. And I didn't realize this, but of course, I, 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 we talked about how that labor is made of brass. Well, brass is a material that is an antibacterial material. And so that brazen labor there that they're washing in, uh, because of what it was made out of, uh, just in and of itself, uh, you know, uh, had antibacterial stuff uh, because of its, uh, the way it was made. I think maybe God knows a little bit about his creation, amen? By the way, I love it when science catches up with the Bible. And you know, for years, uh, they, uh, in fact, a lot of folks would die from surgeries because uh, they would never wash their hands with running water. They would maybe dip them in a, in a bowl of, of, of sitting water. And it wasn't until they started washing their hands with running water did they figure out that, hey, that washes away germs, that prevents infection. Hey, by the way, if you just read the Old Testament, God already said that a long time ago. Amen? And I love it when science finally catches up with the Bible. And uh, But anyway, I thought that was interesting. Brother Kyle would tell me about that. Well, then you walk into the, uh, the holy place, and inside of that uh, there were some other pieces of furniture. Of course, on the, the one side was the table of showbread. The other side was that, that golden candlestick. And then last week we talked about the altar of incense. And then, as you would then enter into the holy of holy, or the most holy place, there was only one thing in there, and that was the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was actually the, the golden box, if you will, and the mercy seat is what was the lid for it that sat on top of it that had the cherubims on it. 
And really, they're kind of two separate pieces, even though they kind of go together. And uh, we will, Lord willing, next week talk about the mercy seat. But tonight, I want to talk about the Ark of the Covenant. Out of all the different parts of the tabernacle, the Ark is mentioned the most. And it's all throughout the Old Testament. And uh, the dimensions of the Ark, based upon what we read here in Exodus chapter 25, a cubit was approximately 18 inches. And we say that because there was maybe a few different ways to measure a cubit, but uh, based upon what most uh, archaeologists believe, the cubit was 18 inches. So if you go with that 18-inch measurement, then the uh, Ark of the Covenant, it was about uh, three and three-fourths feet by a little over two feet, about 27 inches. That was, uh, three and three-fourths was the length, uh, uh, almost four feet, and then the width was a little over two feet, and the height was a little over two feet. It was um, uh, a, it was made, and the Bible says the material is out of shittim wood. By the way, another interesting thought here. Brother Jeff asked me a question the other day. He says, hey, what is shittim wood in the Bible? I said, good question. I, no one's ever really asked me that before. I'm not for sure. He comes back the next week. He says, hey, I asked you a question. God gave me the answer. He says, I was reading my Bible, and I found out that shittim was a place where they, they got the wood from. So Brother Jeff answered his own question because, hey, guess what? He studies the Bible. Amen? Hey, there's a novel concept. If you got a question, study the Bible. Amen? And I don't mind you coming to me and asking where, you know what, God can show you the same. And things he shows me. Amen? And if you'll study the Word. But we see here that the ark was made of shittim wood, and it was covered in pure gold. And uh, again, it's just a, a very magnificent piece of uh, furniture here. And um, the ark, uh, the Bible tells us what was put in that ark. In fact, uh, real quick, let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 9, and we'll show you what's put in the ark. And then we're going to kind of chase through the Scripture some things about the ark, show you some very interesting things about it, and then we'll, as we always do, make some practical application. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 4, notice what the Bible says here, and, um, well, let's just go uh, move, move back to verse 3. Of course, it's talking about the tabernacle, and it says, after the second veil, that's talking about the, uh, the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer, and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was, here's what was in the Ark of the Covenant, the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. So three things were in that Ark when it was in Israel's possession. Uh, they had, uh, the first thing it tells us was the golden pot that had manna. By the way, all those things represent something. Amen? These aren't just random things that were in the Ark. Remember something, folks. Every single part about the tabernacle represents some aspect of Jesus Christ. And that, that golden pot of manna is a representation of the fact that Jesus Christ is, as he said he was, the bread of life. Amen? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And uh, Jesus is representation of the bread of life. That rod that budded was a picture of the Holy Spirit who gives life and fruitfulness. And of course, the, uh, the Ten Commandments are a picture of God's law. Amen? And all three of those things is what we as Christians, God has given us. And by the way, those things we have today, and those things that, uh, that they symbolize those things back in the Old Testament, but they're very relevant to us today. Amen? And so that's what was in the Ark of the Covenant. Now, 
Uh, very, very interesting here. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, look at some things here about the ark. Just some facts uh, as you begin to study the Bible uh, that we know about it. First of all, and uh, let's and I won't have you turn to all these places because I got a lot of them, but we'll turn to some. Let's uh, go back to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10. God was very specific on who it was, was to carry the ark or to bear the ark. Again, folks, God was uh, very detailed on how he wanted things done. And you say, well, uh, uh, you know, God seems to have an opinion about it. Yeah, he does. Amen. He's got an opinion about everything. And he lists for us some of these detailed opinions when it came to the tabernacle and all the instructions. And here's the instructions when it came to the ark. Notice what it says, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 8. It says, at the same time, the Lord separated the tribe of Levi to bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord to stand before the Lord, to minister unto Him, and to bless in His name unto this day. So God was very specific. Only the tribe of Levi were to bear the ark and be part of the work of the tabernacle. And so they were the only ones that had the right from God to bear that ark. And let me tell you some interesting things you find out about the ark. Let's go to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 3. Here's what you find out uh, some things about, about the ark of the covenant. Uh, is this miracle, mirab, sorry, miraculous events surrounded the ark. Miraculous events always happened uh, when the ark of God was there. Notice here in Joshua chapter 3, and what we have here is Israel getting ready to go in and take Jericho. But before they could get into Jericho, there was one natural barrier that separated them from the land, and that was the Jordan River. And notice what it says here in verse 15 through 16 in Joshua chapter 3. And as they that bear the ark were coming to Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water, for Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of harvest, that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon a heap very far from the city Adam that is beside Zeratan. And those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, failed and were cut off, and the people passed over right again uh, against Jericho. And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan, and all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. And so God used the priest, as soon as their feet stepped in that water, the ones that were bearing the ark, way up here, way down there, God dammed up the waters. Amen? And that ark, it was something about now what that, and we'll get to that tonight. Amen? I'm trying to get ahead of myself a little bit. What that ark represented, there was power behind that ark. Notice what else we see. Joshua chapter 6, in their unusual battle plan to take down the walls of Jericho, or should I say God's battle plan, amen? And notice it says, and it came to pass, verse 8, Joshua chapter 6, and it came to pass when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests, again, notice that, when you think that's an accident, okay, nothing's an accident with God, seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horn passed on before the Lord and blew with the trumpets, notice, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord that, that uh, took the lead. Amen? And, 
And then behind them was the priest that bore the Ark of the Covenant. And then behind them, you have the army. Amen? And by the way, isn't that interesting? You'd think in a battle plan, the army would be the ones out in front. But you know what God's trying to teach His people from the very beginning, before they even fought the first battle in the Promised Land? Listen, children of Israel, if you're going to think for one second you're going to win battles, you better make sure I'm at the place I ought to be, and that's at the forefront of everything. Amen? Amen. By the way, as long as they kept God first, they won the battles. As long as they did it God's way, listen, victory was a piece of cake. You know where they got the problems? When they started doing it their way. And it didn't take too long, because it was the very second battle when they did it their way. You know what? There was casualties. And there was problems, because they didn't do it God's way. So God was setting the precedence here, and He had the ark go first. And again, I believe that was part of that battle plan, that siege of of Jericho. All right, uh, go to First Samuel chapter four. Okay, I got a weird sound going up here, brother John. I don't know what it is. I don't know if all of a sudden why we had y'all hear this. Does it change something? My, my, I sound like to me something's changing. But anyway, we'll work on that. First Samuel chapter four. Flip over there if you will. First Samuel chapter four. And again, we're just looking at some of these um, uh, things here about the Ark of the Covenant. What you find here is the uh, nation of Israel uh, uh, under the uh, leadership here of Saul. Uh, they are uh, getting ready to go into battle. And uh, they are fighting the Philistines here in the First uh, Samuel chapter 4. And they got the idea that, you know what, they, they were going to bring that Ark of the Covenant into battle. By the way, they were doing that without a sanction from God because no longer were they trusting in the God of the ark, they were trusting in the ark itself. And notice here, even though that ark of the covenant was in the battle with them, notice what it says in verse 11, and the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were slain. By the way, part of this is because they had bad spiritual leadership. Eli the priest was a horrible spiritual leader. He never restrained his sons. He let them do what they wanted to do. They were, they were making a mockery of the office of priest. They were making merchandise of the house of God, making a, uh, uh, a literally a whorehouse of the house of God, and the man of God didn't do anything about it. No big surprise that people just kind of you know, did their own thing when it comes to you know, what they thought was right spiritually. And by the way, let me tell you, there's always problems when there's a lack of spiritual leadership. There's problems in a home, there's problems in a country, and there's problems in a church when the leadership is not the the spiritual leadership it ought to be. Amen? And we find that here. They took that ark into battle. God never told them to do that. They just did it. By the way, that ark got taken. And let me tell you what's super interesting about this. Even though the ark got taken, okay, woe to the Philistines who took the ark. Okay? And notice this. Man, this to me, man, God's got such a human, a sense of humor pinning this stuff in the Bible for us. I love it. Go to uh, look at 1 Samuel chapter 5. Notice what it says here. And the Philistines took the ark of God, uh-oh, <laughs> and brought it from Ebenezer unto Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. Now, Dagon was the false god of the Philistines. Dagon was known as the fish god. And uh, because the Philistines were seafaring people, uh, their, their false deity uh, was a god of, of, of half man. Half, literally, it was a mermaid is what it was. That was the, the image of their false god. Well, let's just see what happens here when the ark of God comes into contact with Dagon. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. 
And when they had asked God, arose early in the morrow, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the earth before the ark of God. <laughs> so here's a false god that's not even a real god, a piece of stone. And you know what? God said, okay, I'm going to show you where the power's at. Yeah. Toppled over their false god in the face in front of the real god. Amen? Right. By the way, truth be told, you study this out. Yes, this was a representation. It was a stone figure, but they were worshiping the false deity behind Dagon. Dagon was a fallen spirit, if you will. And I'm sure Dagon had some kind of, you know, as, as, as evil spirits do, may have some kind of power. Let me tell you right now, this here represents the fact that even the, the, the little bit of power that God allows Satan to have is nothing compared to the power he has. Amen. Amen. Dagon on his face in front of the ark of God. And they took Dagon, Dagon and set him in his place again. Think about this for a minute, okay? You want to worship a God that you have to put back up in place? He can't even stay in place himself? That's the kind of God you want to worship? Guess what? God ain't done yet. And when they arose early on the tomorrow morning, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. Okay, and God says, okay, I'm going to show you who's God. He ain't just going to be on his face. Let's keep reading. And the head of Dagon, and both the palms of his hands, were cut off upon the threshold. Only the stump of Dagon was left to him. Man, I love that. Amen? That's the kind of power God has. And you know, you want to worship your false little gods? Let me show you what your little false god is compared to me. Amen? I'm going to cut his head off. Cutting his hand. All he is is a stinking stump of stone. Amen. Stump of stone. Now you talk about power, but guess what? God ain't done yet. You would have thought the Philistines would have figured it out by now. Oh no, let's keep reading verse 6. But the hand of the Lord was heavy upon them of Ashdod, and he destroyed them and smote them with emrods, that means tumors, even Ashdod and the coast thereof. And the men of Ashdod saw that it was so. They said, The ark of the God of Israel shall not abide with us. For his hand is sore upon us, upon Dagon our God. They sent thereof and gathered all the lords of the Philistines unto them and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And they answered, Let the ark of God of Israel be carried about in the gap. And they carried the ark of God of Israel about hither. And it was so that after they had carried about, that the hand of the Lord was against the city with a very great destruction. And he smote them into the city, both small and great. And they had emrods in their secret parts. Okay, listen, it did not bode well for them. For these people who were anti-God, who were heathens, who were worshiping these false deities to try to mess with the God of heaven. Amen? And by the way, God made sure that um, they were not going to uh, mess with the way he established things to be. And so not only did miraculous events surround the ark, judgment surrounded the ark. Judgment surrounded the ark. By the way, not just judgment upon the heathen. Let me show you something else. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 6. Eventually, when David become king, uh, and by the way, the story, if you remember the Bible story, you know, what, you know what the Philistines did? Because they were afraid of that ark. They put it on a cart, okay, with a, uh, uh, with a new calf, and they sent the ark away, and they said, if this God of the Hebrews is real, this ark, this cart pulled by the oxen by itself will find its way where it needs to go. And guess what? It did. And they watched it from afar. They finally learned the lesson. We ain't messing with the Hebrews, God. Amen. And that ark came to not back to um, where it was where it was at. And I forget his name. I'd have to see. Uh, but a man of Israel found it, 
and it was kept there until eventually David was going to bring that ark back to where it belonged. But notice here in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 6 through 7, and the king and his men, David, went to Jerusalem and to the Jebusites and inhabitants of the land, which should, uh, wait a minute, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong spot here. 2 Samuel, uh, I was in chapter 5, verse, uh, chapter 6, I'm sorry, verse 6 and 7. And when they came to Nacom's threshing floor, there you go, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him, therefore, uh, therefore his error, and there he died by the ark of God. So here's the thing. David said, we're going to bring the ark back. By the way, that was right for him to do. But you know what? I think David got so caught up in what he was doing, he got careless. He didn't understand the right way to bring the ark back. And instead of having the Levites carry the ark back, they decided they were going to do it their way. And they put it on an ark. I'm sorry, on a cart. As that cart was driving down the road, it said that the oxen stumbled, and it looked like by probably the cart shook. And Uzzah, I'm sure, he didn't do anything out of bad intention, but he put his hand out to steady it. But God said, you know what? You're not doing it my way. And God struck him dead. We're talking about a man of Israel here. I don't know what that teaches us. We better figure out the way God wants things done and do it his way. Do it his way. Amen. And by the way, you know what? You can have the best of intentions, but sometimes, listen, you do it your way and not God's way, consequences. Consequences. I'm sure Uzzah was sorry, but God didn't give him a do-over. Let me say, some. there's some uh, things in life that you mess up, there are no do-overs. So you know what we better do? Figure out how God wants it done and do it. Amen? So judgment surrounded the ark. And again, so many more places we could uh, look at, uh, but... um, but I want, I, want, I, want to get, I want to kind of get, get us back down to where we, where we want to get to the application tonight. Well, I'll tell you what I find interesting. Uh, there's only one time the ark is mentioned in the New Testament. You don't find it at all. Jesus never talked about it. Okay, And the only time Paul never talked about it, the apostles never talked about it, the only time you find it mentioned is in the book of Hebrews. And by the way, Hebrews really is a reference back to what was going on in the Old Testament. And, and talking about how that Jesus Christ fulfilled everything going on in the Old Testament. And the only time you hear it mentioned in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 4, is the verse I just read to you that talks about its contents. But as far as the ark being a symbol of anything, it, it, it wasn't even a, uh, a something that was even talked about in the New Testament. You say, well, well, why is that? What happened to the ark? By the way, that's a good question. A lot of people have wondered that. And you know what the true answer is? Nobody knows for sure what happened to the ark. Okay? The last time it was uh, known about would have been right before the Babylonian captivity when God sent Nebuchadnezzar into, um, into the nation of Israel to carry, him ca- uh, to carry him captive. So some people believe maybe the Babylonians melted the ark down and, for its gold. We don't know. Some people think, I've heard this before, maybe it's being guarded in a remote location in Ethiopia. And uh, that's a, a thing that's out there. Um, some people think maybe that um, uh, the Catholics are in control of it, and it's at the Vatican. Um, uh, some people think maybe God took it back to heaven at some point, or um, I think this might be a more, more likely scenario, that it was hidden in a warehouse, and it was found by a man named Dr. Jones. Amen? Uh, no, just kidding. That's definitely not what happened to it, all right? So, uh, you know what? Nobody knows where the Ark of the Covenant's at. Now, here's a good... Um, thing that uh, uh, people that uh, study um, Bible prophecy, they speculate. Nobody, Again, nobody knows for sure, but they speculate that possibly 
that the Antichrist, one of these days, will either produce the, the actual ark or a replica of the ark enough to fool the Jews for their new temple. By the way, it's pretty interesting how the Antichrist is going to uh, have no problem deceiving the Jewish people into believing he's God. And you know what? Truth be told, Orthodox, or I'm sorry, Orthodox, Orthodox Judaism, okay? I mean, they are staunch on this stuff. And you know what? If they really believe that somebody produced the Ark of the Covenant, I mean, that could be an explanation of why they follow the Antichrist, hook, line, and sinker. And we don't know for sure. All this is speculation, of course. But I'll just say this. I think it's interesting to me that the Ark is never mentioned in the New Testament. By the way, let me tell you why it's not mentioned. Okay, you ready for this? Okay, it doesn't matter. Let me tell you why it doesn't matter. Amen? And this is where we're going to get into some good practical application here. As important as it was to the nation of Israel, as powerful, the symbol of power that it was, all that it represented, guess what? It doesn't matter to us one bit in the church age. Amen? Let me tell you why it doesn't matter. All right, you ready for some good stuff here? Number one. We don't need an object to symbolize God's presence. Right. You know why? Because He lives in us. Amen. Amen. Go to Romans chapter 8. We don't need some golden box to symbolize uh, who God is and, and what His power is. Listen, folks. And again, all that was appropriate for that time, for that day and age. Because remember something. The Old Testament was exactly what we call it. It was the Old Testament. Amen? And by the way, God is not the same way we come to God. They had to come to God through the blood of all those sacrifices of the animals and all those offerings and all those different things that they did to bring that blood and bring that atonement, the high priest, all the things that had to be done. And by the way, that was just looking forward to what one day was going to happen. But you know what? We got it way better than they did. You know why? Because the ultimate sacrifice has already been paid. Amen? Notice what we see here, Romans chapter 8. Let's read a couple of verses here, uh, beginning in verse 9. As I read these verses here, see if you can pick up the common denominator, beginning in verse 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you... He that raised up Christ from the dead shall dwell within you. Four times a phrase was mentioned. Did you pick up on it? I'm sure you did. And that phrase was, dwelleth in you. Amen? Listen, folks, that presence of God that dwelt upon that ark of the covenant, praise God, hey, it dwells in us now. Amen? I mean, if you would have told the Israelites back then, and again, you've got to realize all the things that had to be done in a certain way to appease God because of uh, the, the, the temporary blood sacrifices. Amen? And if you would have told those people, especially that high priest, who had to make sure everything was done just right, and if he didn't do it just right, God would strike him dead. If you would have told them there would be a day where that very presence that they were so fearful of would dwell inside of them, they would have thought you were crazy. They would have thought there's no way the human body could, could, could contain the presence of the, the, the Shekinah glory of God. Amen? But I'm going to tell you, folks, that's the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And what's that mean? Listen, when the Bible says that He's reconciled us to God, listen, that means something important. Amen? Oh, yeah. Amen? So we don't need that object, that, that box anymore, because God's presence dwells in us. Amen? Not only that, because we have His presence, 
Remember what the ark represented? The power of God? Hey, we also have His power. We also have His power. Alright, let's look at, again, so many verses we can look at. We'll just look at one of them, okay? And I like this verse. It's a good verse for us to memorize. In fact, it's a scripture song we sing. 2 Timothy chapter 1, amen? 2 Timothy chapter 1. And I love this verse. And it's a good reminder for all of us. But notice what he says here. Very familiar passage of scripture. Notice what he says. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. By the way, we better remember that. Amen? Because, you know, there, there may be a day that we face that we're going to need that verse right there. And I think to some extent we need it every day of our lives. Amen? But just remember something, folks. Fear is a spirit. Fear is a spirit. And by the way, it doesn't come from God. Right? It doesn't come from God. That's not what God's given us. He hasn't given us the spirit of fear. By the way, we're not talking about fear of the Lord. That's proper. That's different than what he's talking about here. Amen? Fear of the Lord, truth be told, is a result of wisdom. It's, it's the beginning of wisdom. It, it, and and it's, it's what we need. And the Holy Spirit helps produce that in our life. We're not talking about the fear of the Lord. We're talking about uh, the spirit of fear. And by the way, if people, and sometimes you, you meet people, and sometimes you meet, meet Christians, and man, they're just scared of everything all the time. Okay, listen, folks, if you're, God doesn't want you living that way. Okay, I remember as a kid, man, I was paranoid of storms. I mean, I, I, mean, I was so freaked out about tornadoes, and, and I mean, if the sky got dark, I'd start freaking out, and uh, I, was, I was almost a hypochondriac when it came to tornadoes and storms. And finally, my dad told me, he's like, why are you worried about it? Tornadoes can only happen from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. And he only told me that, so he would give me quit worrying about it. Then when I got older, come to figure out, most deadly tornadoes happen at night. Thanks, Dad. All right? But now it worked, you know? You know why? Because my dad told me that, and I trusted my dad. You know, maybe you see me a little bit. Amen? But no, you know, and uh, but you shouldn't have to always be come from God. And I get it. You know what? There's things that maybe we don't understand, and there's things that, you know, we may be concerned about. But when you are, remember we talked about it, uh, I think it was last week, that we don't have to worry, but in, uh, but in everything by prayer and supplication, but your request be made known to God. Would you find yourself wanting to have the spirit of fear? Rebuke the spirit of fear. Amen? Come on, and start. it's time we start taking charge as Christians when it comes to this thing of spiritual warfare. Could be the devil's little pincushion. Amen? Could be his little puppet on the, string, uh, on the string. Deal with that. Now, I understand we all have to deal with this. Okay? The flesh deals with these things. I'm not saying being foolish, okay? Don't do stupid, foolish things. Well, I'm not, God told me not to fear, so I'm going to run to 120 mile an hour down 41. I'm not going to fear anything. Well, that's just, that, that's ridiculousness, okay? We're not talking about stuff like that. But listen, there are things, legitimately, that if you're not careful, can captivate your mind, can captivate your heart. It's called the spirit of fear. It doesn't come from God. But what does come from God? Here we go. Here's where I was going with this verse. For God not giving us the spirit of fear, but of power. And of love and of a sound mind. And listen, we're talking about how that ark symbolized the power of God. Well, guess what? God also, because of His presence that lives inside of us, also gives us His power. Amen? And I'm thankful. Listen, you don't have to live this Christian life uh, on your own. You don't have to live it in the flesh. I'm thankful for that. In the, in the strength of the flesh, in the power of the flesh. What's that song we sing? The arm of flesh will, will fail you. You dare not trust your own. Amen? Listen, we need God's power to live the Christian life and accomplish what God wants for us to accomplish and do what He's called for us to do. And by the way, that power is available to every single Christian. Amen? 
Amen. So that uh, we don't need an ark, we don't need a box, a golden box to represent the power of God. We have the power of God. And then last of all, let me share this with you. We'll close out with this thought. When you study there in the Old Testament, that ark, a lot of times the, the glory of God would manifest itself on that ark. And folks, listen, just as God's glory was manifested on that ark, you know we also as Christians ought to be the symbol of God's glory in the day and age we're living in? Listen, we ought to, with our lives, bring glory and honor to our God. Amen? We ought to. Let's look at some verses here. Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. That ark symbolized the glory of God, the presence of God, the power of God. And you know what? We, we as Christians as well ought to bring Him glory and honor. Romans chapter 15. Let's look at just a couple verses. Verse 6. Notice what he says here. Romans chapter 15 and verse 6. He says this. He says that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, we don't have time to uh, uh, get uh, deep into this verse tonight, but he, he gives us two particular areas that we ought to glorify God with. First of all, with our mind. By the way, you know what? Your mind, uh, uh, if you'll think right, you'll feel right. If you feel right, you'll do right. Amen? But with your mind. And by the way, the Bible has a lot to say about protecting our minds, girding up the lords of our minds, putting on that helmet to protect our minds, protect our heads, casting down those imaginations. Because let me tell you, folks, if, if we allow Satan to get our thinking messed up, listen, it'll totally mess us up. Because our mind is the processing center of how we live. Amen? And so with your mind, you ought to bring glory to God. How about this? Your mouth. I know it's quiet. Amen? Right? But let me tell you, you know what? If we fail as Christians, if we quickly sometimes get out of line, it's usually with our tongue. Book of James tells us all about it. Amen? And just in case you're wondering, the Bible says our tongue, the wickedness of our tongue, is set on fire from hell itself. Let me tell you, it is. It's a wicked thing, amen, if we're not careful. And so with our mind, with our mouth, we ought to glorify God. Let's look at another verse here. Of course, this is one we talk about often, but let's read it again. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Here he gives us something else we ought to glorify God with. And it may be a little bit broader, but you know what? He names it specifically. For you are bought with the price. Amen. What is that price? That precious blood we were purchased with. Amen. Amen. High price was paid for our salvation. You better believe it was costly. It was free to us, but man, it cost God a whole lot. For you are bought with the price. Because we were purchased with such a high price, therefore glorify. There's that word again. Glorify God. Here you go. In your body and in your spirit with your God's. So we're to glorify God with our mind. We're to glorify God with our mouth. We're to glorify God with our body and with our spirit. Amen? By the way, this physical body we live in, we call it the flesh. We fight the most. Amen? But do you realize under the control of the Holy Spirit of God, you can, with your body, glorify God? And we ought to. Amen? Listen, that's why it's important as Christians. That's why I preach the message I preach Sunday night. Amen? So that we would understand the importance of, and in one aspect of glorifying our God with our body. Amen? Amen? And listen, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to bring Him glory with it. Even, even yes, living in the flesh, we can still bring glory to God. We need to stop making excuses for our flesh and start crucifying the flesh. Amen? Amen? Now let's look at one more verse here. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 12, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. 
having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, okay, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your, here's another category, good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. And so here we're talking about the fact that, you know what, as Christians, we're living amongst the Gentiles. Amen? Now, I understand we are Gentiles, and uh, he was particularly talking to Jewish people here, but truth be told, when it talks about the Gentiles like that, it's talking about the lost world, what it's referring to. Amen? And he says, you know what, as Christians, as God's people, our conversation, and by the way, that does kind of refer to what you say, but it's more about your behavior, okay? It's not just coming out of your mouth, it's your overall behavior. That with your behavior, honest among the Gentiles. Hey, there's a, a, a novel thought that as Christians, we ought to be living honest amongst this world. Being honest. Okay, listen, just be honest about things. All right, don't be dishonest, be honest. That whereas they speak evil against you as evildoers, and by the way, you know what? God said it would happen. Jesus said they'll call good evil and evil good. And that's the day and age we're living in. As Christians, you know what? They think if we're living for God, if we're trying to follow the Bible, we're the problem. They think that. That's okay. They speak evil against you as evildoers, that they may by your good works, which they shall behold. So even in the midst of them calling us evildoers and treating us with evildoers, you know what we're still going to do? Do good works that they can see. That's what it says. Behold, see. So it doesn't matter what the world says about us. It doesn't matter what they do. God still said, you still do good works that they can see. Mm-hmm. By the way, in the process of doing that, and what's going to happen? Uh, it says, they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. And you know what? One of these days, and they may not ever do it now, but one of these days when reality sets in, and sad to say for a lot of them, it's going to be after great white throne judgment. Okay? They won't be able to look at us and say, man, those bunch of Christians at White River, a bunch of hypocrites. No, no. You know what they can say? They tried telling me. They tried telling me by what they said and how they lived. Because their mouth preached the message and their life preached the message. And by the way, if we'll live that way, you know what that's going to bring to one of these days? Bring glory to God. Amen? And that's ultimately what this thing's about. Amen? So, Ark of the Covenant kind of gave us a brief Study on it tonight. So many more things. Man, it's a phenomenal thing. If you ever just want an interesting study, just get your concordance out. Uh, type in the word ark. You'll have to cipher through some of the words that talk about Noah's ark. But man, because there's other places that talks about it besides just the ark of the covenant. Sometimes it's called the ark of the testimony and other things. Just read it. It's a fascinating Bible study. And so, again, praise the Lord for these things. And praise the Lord. Hey, hey, aren't you glad? I don't know about y'all. I'm glad I'm living on this side of the cross. Amen. <laughs> I'm glad that, that uh, we're, uh, we're on this side of it. And uh, so anyway, praise the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the truth of the